This is the Copper Crab Podcast. I am Cheney Crab. I am Naveen Copperwise. If you would like to grab merch for the podcast, go to coppercrab.bigcartel.com. If you would gra- like to grab Entheos merch, that's the band that we're in, then go to entheosofficial.bigcartel.com. Everything from that store I ship out, or you can go to our Night Shift merch store at nightshift.com slash collection slash Entheos and buy something from there that I do not send out. We have a we are playing Whitechapel's annual Christmas show on December 22nd in Knoxville, Tennessee. So go and check that out if you're in the area. It's with Whitechapel and Theos of us, of course, Orthodox and the Guild. That'll be fun. I think that if you bring a toy donation, you get some money off of your ticket or something like that. Um, today, bring a toy regardless, because that's the point of the the show is for a toy drive. Yeah, it's so a bring toy a drive. Freaking toy. So We're going to bring toys. We are going to bring toys yeah. for sure. So you guys should too. Um, today on the podcast, our guest is Jeff Menig. And Jeff is a manager. He manages the band The Left to Suffer. We met. We did the Beatdown Brunch a few weeks ago at the concourse in Knoxville. And we met Jeff. He spoke after us. And you had a lot of cool shit to share. And a lot of stuff you were saying while you were on stage. I was like, I wish that we could have like a conversation about this. Because it's really, you make yeah. a lot of really great points. So, um. Yeah, even yeah. Chani and I were learning some stuff. Yeah, we were learning stuff. So. so we wanted to have you on the podcast. A lot of people who listen to our podcast are in bands, you know. So I think that cool. you, you have a lot of information you can share. But um, I think first and foremost, how did you get into managing bands? Originally, it was back in 2012. I had just turned 30 years old. Um, and my parents always told me by the time you turn 30, you kind of had to, uh, have your shit together, so to speak. And I, at the point, at that point in time, I was a concert promoter in Poughkeepsie, New York. Okay. And I had been for a long time and it was just taking a toll on me. It's especially back then, 2008 to 2012, it was just a party every night, and it oh, was yeah. pretty crazy. And uh, I just decided I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. So I discovered the band Sworn In and started managing them and then shifted from being a promoter to being a manager. So you just, like, saw them play live, and you dis- you they wanted a manager? How did How did you start managing that band? So uh, one of my regulars at uh, yeah, at the shows in Poughkeepsie one night came up to me at a show and was just like, Jeff, there's this new band. You got to check them out. You got to book them. I swear kids will come. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And a week later, I just decided to check out that band for whatever reason. <clears throat> and as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, yeah, no, this is cool. And I kind of got it. Um at that same time, I was promoting a, a show at Six Flags in New Jersey um, with Falling in Reverse when we came as Romans and a bunch of bands like that. And um, we had a band drop off. So I reached out to them, introduced myself and said, I would love for you guys to come out and play my festival. And we can meet and talk and see if we vibe and all that stuff. 
and uh, they didn't have any money. So then I sent them like 300 bucks so they could get out to New Jersey from Chicago. Oh, and they were like, damn, this guy's serious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's the exactly. best thing that had ever happened to them. <laughs> so wow. So uh, you used to book shows at Six Flags. Is that like, that's pretty cool. It sounds different. Yeah. yeah, one time at Six Flags, did a festival. Okay. Uh, it's pretty well known for being the festival that Ronnie Radke threw all the microphone stands into the crowd and got uh, split a bunch of kids' heads open and stuff. Oh, damn. Oh, holy so you, shit. Uh, you had to deal with that or what? Were you in the middle oh, of like a yeah, storm? Oh, yeah, got sued for millions of dollars. Really? Really? Wait, so mm-hmm. what happened with that? Oh, my God. Oh, man. I was standing with one of my partners talking to the president of Six Flags and he was saying how it went amazing and how half of the other markets in the country had been calling them being like, what is this event that you're doing? We want to do it too. So we're starting the conversation of starting to take this event that we did just in New Jersey nationwide. And as we're having this conversation, Lou, the original singer of Palisades, comes running up to us and is like, Jeff, Jeff, Ronnie just threw microphone stands into the crowd. Kids are hurt. Ambulances and cops are on their way. And the president of Six Flags just looked at us and said, forget everything we just talked about. (laughs) Holy shit. So that fucking guy cost you doing the show at a bunch of other i mean it would essentially be like a warped tour right it would be a summer tour festival type thing yeah you know we weren't really sure i don't think it would have been i don't know if there's enough six flags to do a whole tour okay unless you had stuff in between um right but yeah that's that's uh that sucked for sure well can you talk yeah no so anyway the, the two or three kids that got hurt ended up suing me, my two partners, Ronnie, falling in reverse, Six Flags, oh uh, God. you know, anyone and everyone that they could. So then Six Flags just ended up uh, holding on to all the money that we made from the festival. <laughs> and what? I, yeah. How, how did cover. you pay people? How did you pay the bands? We well, we we paid we paid all of that stuff, but any of as far as any of the profit or recouping and all that stuff. Holy shit. So was that the last thing that you promoted? No, that wasn't the last thing that I promoted. <laughs> I've right. done a whole bunch of things since then. I've been sued like that like three times. Well, uh, why so. were you sued the other times for similar situations? Or One time I, it was I did a foam party uh, with Barstool, actually. And like <laughs> it was like a 3,100 capacity room. And we did like 2,200 kids for this foam party. And some kid slipped and twisted his ankle on the way out and sued us. Oh, oh my god! Wow, that's people like, love that's, suing people. Yeah, it's so American, you know. They what really I mean? yeah. do. So, would you? I guess. Do you like? Did you like being a promoter? Was it just the partying? Is that why you stopped, or was it all of the other like bullshit that goes along with it? I really, honestly, stopped because of the partying and because I knew I'm just too Mm self-aware and I was just getting to the point where I'm like, okay, if I don't stop this now in 10 years from now, 
things will not be good for me. I just knew that. Like you, yeah. thought, you thought that you might be like an alcoholic 10 years from then or? For sure. Yeah. Something like that. Or just, or, or just not even being an alcoholic, but just drinking heavily, you know, four, five times a week yeah. for 20, 30, 40 years. You know, it just compounds yeah. and compounds. Oh, totally. And I started seeing, you know, the people, old, you know, in my family older than me, they all drank heavily until the very end pretty much okay. and you could see the drastic decline towards the end so i was like okay time to take myself uh, a little bit more seriously and take care of myself yeah, well, i just took you, myself man. out of a yeah. situation that i knew i just knew that i would just would have kept partying if i uh, stayed there totally i think that's yeah. awesome that you did that and it is important to have that self-awareness because you know with promoting or with being in a band it's easy for us to go and drink every single night when we're on tour and just never yep. stop partying but at some point you do have to start thinking about the future and yeah. especially if you want to keep it going for a long time yeah. if you want to be successful at that thing then you can't really like do that every night unless you're the end of the road for that is bad yeah. it's not good correct right <laughs> <laughs> well yeah and it was it was like one of those things where I tried to make friends with as many of the bands and touring parties as I could. Mm -hmm. And I made friends with all the regulars. Yeah. So every show, it didn't matter what genre it was, but there was people there wanting to drink with me, wanting to buy me drinks. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, totally. And for them, it was like the one time a month right. that they were going out. So they oh, don't yeah. think anything of it. Yeah. But I'm having this happen to me four or five times a week. And it was just... It became brutal. Oh, yeah. I think about that when we're on tour. Like a lot of every show you go to, that's the thing that people are doing for that month. Sometimes that's the only show they're going to go to that entire year. So it's like right. they're trying to throw down hard and you kind of can't get too caught up in doing that. It's better to like. <clears throat> you have a good excuse no, on tour, though, because you can just be like, well, I'm driving tonight. Yeah. And it's like, right. Yeah. And, and back then bands really did take it far and really did party. It was really crazy back then. Yeah. Did you yeah. get into promoting and everything through the metal scene or were you promoting other shows as well? How did you get into it in the first place? I was in a hardcore band in high school. Um, kind of sounded like Bane, I guess. Okay. okay. And Sick. so we, we were playing at the Chance in Poughkeepsie once every three months. And that's what we did. And, uh, you know, this is before the internet, this yeah. is 1997, 98, 99. <clears throat> and basically we're, like, era. we're ready. We're like, we're ready to play more shows. We want to play more shows. How the hell do we play more shows? Nobody knew. Yeah, and somebody, somebody in lunch class just one day said, well, if you booked your own show, you could just put your band on it. And I said, oh, that's interesting. I'll, I'll figure out how to do that. So I did that. And the, the first show I ever booked was a band called Reach the Sky that was on Victory Records. Yeah, I remember that name for sure. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. They were like Boston's answer to H2O, like a very melodic oh, okay. yeah, uh, totally. hardcore band. Yep. All right. So you booked them. You put your band on there. Do you recommend bands do that now? As a 100%. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. I, I, I talk to the local bands around here all the time, and I'm like, 
you know, in the suburbs surrounding Atlanta, in every direction, there's there's people and towns, and that's where where seventy five percent of the people who go to the masquerade are from the suburbs. And I'm like, you know, there used to be the seven venue in Douglasville, and there used to be other venues that were doing well in the suburbs. For whatever reason, there isn't any now, and I'm just like, well, somebody just needs to step up and just book one, like. It's going to do well. Like, just do it. I do think about that. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. Yeah, it's like a lot of... There aren't as many suburban shows, I feel, as there used to be back in the day. Like, there would just be shows in random... I'm from Iowa, and there would be shows in random towns in Iowa. But now, you're going to Iowa City or you're going to Des Moines. Like, metal has almost started going to more mainstream markets and venues. Yeah. It's not as like DIY and underground and playing the vets hall or whatever in random fucking places as it used to be. Yeah. The years from 99 when I started to 2004, the four years I would have went to college or the four years that I booked DIY shows. Oh yeah. And those are times ever. Yeah. That's yeah, kind of that's a different type of education that you got. Oh, absolutely! I did a show <laughs> once in an abandoned chocolate factory that had no power. <laughs> well, what did you I do? Had you to, just... I had to rent a generator and run lights and power and everything into the room and like turn a empty con. Uh oh. All right, hopefully he comes back, but a little problem there. Sorry, we're having a technical difficulty. Well, that sounded like a cool story. Yeah, that was a really cool. uh, We were really getting somewhere there. I was going to make a a Charlie and the (laughs) Chocolate That is ironic that he was just talking about not having power, and then... Yeah, he's frozen. Is it us or him? I don't think it's us. Is our Twitch stream going good? Oh, there we go. He just left. Uh, well. Yeah, I know. I think our Twitch stream is going. Sorry, you guys. We're having a technical difficulty really quick. There he is. Hey, now. My computer crashed. Oh, oh okay. okay. Well, that actually is kind of comforting in a weird way. Yeah, I know. And it's <laughs> because it happens to us all the fucking time. Well, yeah, I was just like, all right, at least we know what happened. But also it's ironic that um, you were talking about the power having or a place with no power and your power goes out right during seriously the and i i had i didn't have power for four hours today we had a crazy storm here in atlanta oh, oh jesus really? okay well i wanted yeah. to how did you move to atlanta in the first place why did because you're from poughkeepsie poughkeepsie new york yeah. well i'm from a, from like a town 25 minutes north of there called red hook new york tiny little town with like two traffic lights that's the town that i did the show in actually okay. oh, yeah. um but I moved down here like seven years ago after my dad died and I kind of stopped managing bands and stopped doing anything and just went off the grid for like two years. Mm-hmm. So that's why you moved there to kind of get away from everything? Yeah, well, my sister and her family had moved down here maybe like two years prior for her to go to uh, school and my mom and stepdad had just closed on a house like a mile or two from where they lived like a fixer upper house and they weren't going to be able to move down there until they sell their house in new york so they said 
you can go down and occupy the house and start to slowly work on it for us and just figure your shit out. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll do that. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. Then I started going to shows after I started to feel better and the masquerade, uh, you know, became friendly with some of the people who worked there. They found out who I was and that I moved down there and they hit me up one day, uh, and asked me if I would want to come interview for, for their marketing director position. And I said, cool, let's do it. Okay, so you were a marketing director at Masquerade. What does that job entail? That job entails, because they book, the, the, the I was there for four and a half years, and each year we were booking like 600 shows a year. Right. So Holy crap. Yeah. So my, I mean, my job was to facilitate all the marketing for every single show, setting up all the Facebook ads set, you know, making sure posters are printed and off to the street team, making sure flyers are created and off with the street team at all the shows, making sure social media contests with record stores and radio stations, anything and everything to promote a show. Yeah, so it's like all of that stuff transfers over perfectly into managing a band. Right, because you could kind of trial and error stuff, see what worked, what didn't work, kind of take that with you. Yeah, I mean, I've been just a promoter and marketer my whole life. So when I decided, when I found Sworn In, I was just like, yeah, I think I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like, my job is to make the band big, right? Like make the, grow the company. I'm like, okay, like totally. I can do I could do that through marketing. Like I don't need help from anybody. Like literally. So well, uh, we did have help. You know, we did end up getting them signed and doing that whole thing, which is why, you know, one of the reasons why I'm against that nowadays. But Well, you <laughs> feel like you had a bad experience getting them signed and that's why. Yeah. <laughs> um just between that the whole experience with being on on that label we had some really good things happen and some really awful things and there was just way more awful than there was good and just i learned so much from that experience which is what i think made me so confident going into launching left to suffer and being able to keep everything in-house so was it, what label were they signed to? Was it Victory? Razor and Tie. Oh, okay. I remember that label. Is that are they a label anymore? Nope, not anymore. The Orchard bought them. Oh, okay. Okay. So like what were some of the experiences that you had with them which led you to not advise a band now to get signed right away? I know I I think you said that you like told left to suffer that you want to wait a while. And then when you get signed or, and then I would imagine that it's like, you know, once they've built the band to such a degree that you think a label, they need a label for the next push. That's when you're having them sign. Right. Like I, I, I I think I can get them to be like a million, 1 million monthly listener band without uh, a label. Mm Mm-hmm. But then to take the jump, which is like probably doing like, you know, 1,500 tickets a night. But then to take that jump to go to 3,500 tickets, 7,000 7, to 10,000 tickets, I think 
we might actually need help. I don't think I'd be too stubborn to get help then. So that's still yeah. pretty dang big in my book. If you're doing fifteen hundred tickets a night, yeah, no, right. I, I just, I, my, my, that's a good my goal. Thought, my thought process is to always shoot for Mars, so you land on the moon. Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. So with like day one with them, I'm like, we need to set a North Star. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, I'm like, like a ridiculous goal that will likely never reach. Yeah. But yeah. that's okay because it's the thing that's going to keep us going. And I'm like, you guys are going to play fucking WrestleMania. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, that's important. I think that when you're like coming up with things that you want to do, you should put the silliest, craziest stuff out there because a lot of it will, it might end up coming true, you know? If you shoot for it, then fuck. I mean, that's really cool, though. But what so what were the bad experiences that you had with Razor and Tide that led you to doing all of this with Love to Suffer? Um, I mean, a lot of it was control issues and them not allowing us to do things or forcing us to do things a certain way because that's the way things were always done and just trying, you know, I always thought that they were a uniquely shaped band and they were still trying to push us through the square hole. Right. Yeah. I think that's a huge problem with a lot of labels is when, when you're a a more hands-on band or you have people in the band that are hands-on, and, you, and you're doing it like every day and you're really trying to push something and push a certain vision. Well, like labels, they're doing a, a lot of bands. You know, they have like a release catalog. So it's like they get to you and it's like, okay, here's your week of promo. And then right. they're kind of on to the next thing. So totally. that is definitely a danger zone, I feel like, with uh, with the label thing like that Channing and I talk about. That you kind of experienced. Yeah, that, it was a, it was just a big turnoff, and yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch. I mean, there was a few other things, but I think more than anything, the reason for doing the stuff with Left to Suffer is finding out how much money there was in streaming. Yeah, which I yeah. loved because you brought this up at Be Down Brunch, and I was like, finally someone is saying this. It's such a common misconception that streaming services do not pay anything and the artists get no money through that. But the reality is the reason that people aren't getting money through that is because the labels labels that they're signed to are getting paid. They don't own their masters. So that money is just going into money that like needs recouped. You know, it's getting fed back into the label machine and the label is getting a percentage of that. So it's a really right. small and the, ba- and the band probably never sees their tiny percentage anyway, right? They're right. they're told they're told on you know their whole lives that they're not going to make anything from music, so don't worry about it. Right. So yeah. so share <laughs> d- share what you said at Beat Down. No, the, mu- the music industry coerced they coerce musicians. That's what they've done throughout the years. Mm-hmm. They've yeah. coerced them into signing record deals. Totally. And, giving away huge percentages of things and giving away control and all sorts of nonsense. Which made sense in the past because they kind of were like the gatekeepers, so to speak, to bands getting popular. Right. They didn't yeah. have the option. Or, or press. You know, it was all about getting signed, you know, record 
deal or whatever. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, sworn in, that was like 10 years ago that they signed and it was like, you know, I didn't really know any better. It was kind of like, oh yeah, you know, you have to get signed. And then once you get signed, you'll get a booking agent and then you'll go on tours and then, oh, we'll do a spring tour around this festival and hopefully we'll get warp tour. And then if not, you'll get all stars tour or this other thing. And you know what I mean? It was yeah, just yeah. the same fucking cycle Cookie cutter stuff. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that is, I remember at the, the beat down brunch talking thing that we did. Your first point was of how much things have changed since then, and how much control people can have with, the advent of all these different platforms and the internet and all. I mean, it's, it's hard for me, like me to even keep up with all the different ways of promoting a band. And I mean, sometimes I kind of run into, I, I see myself and other bands de, de, um, going in too many, too many different platforms at once. Like, have you found it useful to kind of strategize like, okay, we're going to work Facebook and <laughs> something else and that's it because you know you'll see bands like they're on every single one they got a patreon they got a twitch they got a this that and the other thing yeah. and it's like spread yourself thin because there's so many options right i'm a big fan of single tasking and when we launched left to suffer we strategically said i said okay we're gonna launch a facebook and an and instagram because those are kind of like the two main ones or whatever yeah, yeah. Uh, and we're just going to concentrate on those. And then once we get some mojo and some energy moving on those, then we can transfer that energy. Then we can start a TikTok and a Twitter, and we can transfer some of that energy that we've already created to kickstart those other ones. Because it was like, if we tried to launch eight at once, each of them would grow a lot slower where if we just put our time into two of them we will be able to get the two of them to grow a lot faster so so how did you do that what was when you did you first of all like have left to suffer as an idea and then you guys all launched it together is that like what you're getting at? no No, um, taylor um was a regular at shows and he's very hard to miss. I don't know if you've met him in real life or not. I have. Um, he's like six, six or six, eight. Oh, and (laughs) yeah, he's a big guy. And, um, and kind of, I started working at the masquerade and it was kind of like, okay, I'm starting all over again, back to basics, promoting goes. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get to know all the fucking locals like I did back in Poughkeepsie. So all the regulars. And uh, so he was one of the ones I got to know. And after he felt comfortable enough to slide in my DMs, he hit me up and said, hey, my band recorded a song that we actually think is good. Will you listen to it and tell us if the advice that we're getting is good or not? And I said, sure. They sent me the song and I listened to it on the first listen. I said, yeah, this could be something for sure. Um, he told me the advice that they were getting. I said, that's awful. I said, we should talk next time when you're at a show. What was the advice? The advice was to sit on the, the songs that they had recorded, not put them out, but to shop them around to labels. And while they were doing that, 
to Spotify farm their current releases to get their plays up. That's horrible advice. Which so, so is Spotify uh, farming like putting paying to put stuff on playlists? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's basically like yeah. I mean, they're fake playlists of just phones and in closets most of the time. Yeah, which you will see that yeah. happen a lot. There are bands that have a ton of Spotify monthly listeners, but they don't draw, or you know, they're the other stats aren't really. Sh- yeah. Up to par with that, so yeah, that is the thing with Spotify plays. Like, what is the what's the important part of Spotify? The important part is not something that everyone can see, so there's no vanity uh, involved in it. So I feel like people won't like it as much. But it's the listener to save ratio of all of your songs. So how do you see that? If you log into your artist for Spotify account and you go to the releases or music section, whatever that's called, you can uh, music then releases. I think there's so many tabs in that thing, Yeah. Okay. Uh, sure. but, but it's in there somewhere. So that's kind of like people b- buying your album essentially, instead of just previewing it. <clears throat> Well, the the way that the the way that the algorithm sees it is that that person ha- has intent to listen to you again. Yeah, right. So because because they saved it and there's intent to listen again, them listening is what keeps them on the platform. So as that ratio goes up, the more and more you're going to get pushed out through the algorithmic playlisting. So does it actually in the when you're in that part of spotify the behind the scenes thing does it actually give you that stat the ratio stat or do you have to just kind of figure it out yeah it'll tell you like a song or a releases total listeners and it will tell you the total saves okay gotcha so you you know you just gotta have to do yeah, the math yeah. on your okay. own or whatever but yeah so you know if a song is getting botted out and it has a hundred thousand listeners with zero saves the algorithm is going to think it's the worst song in history. Right. And then they're going to make sure it's buried and not heard from anyone. So is there like a save to play ratio that you guys try to aim for? Like what would be a good one? Cause I, I have no idea. I'd like to know. Um, I, I, I forget what a good ratio is. I feel like it was somewhere between eight and 12%. Okay. Oh, wow. So I was kind of thinking, yeah. So do you one in ten? Do you think that people focus too much on Spotify plays or Spotify monthly listeners? I think so. Because I feel like a lot of bands, like just starting out, get super bummed out on themselves because they have like three monthly listeners or something. But that's not really. I mean, three monthly listeners with three saves. That's a hundred percent ratio. Yeah, that's a hundred percent. That 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 is true though. That is yeah. how you start right. something from yeah. the bottom up. You. I d- I would prefer to have three out of three than zero out of 10,000 for okay. sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, th- three is a little small still. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. man, that, but if you have three super fans who are there for you all the time and will buy all of your stuff and, you know, we'll go to every show, you're starting somewhere with that. I think that's absolutely, that's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, I think Chaney and I, you know, we look, we spend a lot of time just kind of, um, 
talking. We run the band together and everything, so we're always looking around and looking at other bands and stuff and trying to figure out, like, what it is that gets bands on tours and, you know, you hear it's Spotify, but then you can you can look at their other numbers on their different social media uh, platforms and everything. But I think it might be helpful for people listening to kind of know, like, what what do people that are booking tours look for when they're putting the band on? Do they look for like the weakest one and say like, oh, they're kind of weak over on YouTube, but they're good on Spotify. Let's put them. I mean, in my opinion, it's about, can you put butts in seats? Can you sell tickets? That's Mm -hmm. kind of what it's all about. So you'd look Um, at like the previous, the previous tour history and then you don't really care that much about the internet stuff. Um, I'm not sure. I think that they probably have use a mixture of them all. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's I mean, actually just something new, I, that's actually something new that bands, I, yeah. you kind of have to rely on the internet stuff. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, that is true. I also feel like every, we're at kind of at a point where like a lot of people use different things as their main metric. Like yeah. everyone's not 100% on first week sales. Like, when right. everybody used to be on that, like yeah. now it's kind of like some people are still on that. Some people are on headlining ticket sales. Some people are on Spotify monthly listeners. Right. Some people are on a mixture of everything. Yeah. So, I mean, first week numbers is kind of an antiquated model because it's like, I mean, it's, it's I, I was looking at some first week numbers yeah. a few weeks ago and bands who I think to, who I perceive as being big headliners their first week numbers were pretty dismal, like 500 right. units or something. But meanwhile, they can sell 500 tickets a night. Yeah. So it's, I think that's kind of antiquated. Obviously, people aren't buying music in the same way as they used to be or as they used to do. But I guess. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like a novelty to me to buy the physical album. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think I'll ever do it ever again, personally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I buy vinyls, but would you, if you had a I, band... I that, won't even do that. Really? It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of a good idea. I know. I would have way less stuff if I didn't collect vinyl. I own, I own five or six pieces of vinyl, I think. Yeah. We don't buy, like, everything we like. It's just... It, we kind of just do it when we're out because it's fun. Like yeah, if you're like on tour or something, like oh, let's go to that record store. Yeah, check it out. Totally. Whatever. So it is. Right, but like I said, cool. that that makes it novel. Like I'm not sitting down and listening to vinyls very often. I'm listening to Spotify right. on my phone. Like let's be real here. Yeah, I listen to Spotify. Yeah. It's the easiest thing. Yeah. So for a band that's starting out and just you know like a local band who's playing shows, what would you tell them to do in order to start? Like what would be the first thing to start getting their name out there would it be the internet would it be playing local shows um if they have the ability to play shows i would say that it's a mixture of two um not playing in your home city every month though that's gonna just kill your draw you need to you need to, our scene needs to learn and figure out supply and demand a little bit better and yeah. understand how it works and how you can use it to your advantage to just make things uh, pop off. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, but so I, I would say it's a mixture of the two. 
playing locally, but I mean, the internet, it just changes everything. I mean, you have access to everyone at any time. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So when getting on the internet, how do you start to say you're a local band? How do you start to get your name out there beyond just the people that you know? I would say the easiest ways are to search for Facebook groups and join them and then actually become part of the community and engage with people. Mm -hmm. Um, You can also use an Instagram search or Twitter search and search for certain tags or, or bands and, and join in conversations uh, uh, in those areas. I think that's kind of one of the biggest things is just, if you put yourself in the middle of the community and you just start engaging with the community with no intention of spamming them or promoting them or anything like that, they're going to uh, like end up checking your band out on their own. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good tip because uh, I think it's like something that I've said a million times. It's, that's like just being honest, you know, just honestly being right. a part well, of something like, rather than trying to get your band big real quick. Yeah. Right. I get friend. Re- I get so many friend requests every day. And if I accept a friend request and a kid automatically DMs me or invites me to like his band page, I'd literally make a mental note to blacklist them in my head. Yeah. Like, I will never check you out. Like, I can't yeah. believe it's 2022 and you're still doing that. Right. Like, yeah. But if I accept your friend request and you just start liking, harding, laugh, reacting on my posts and you start commenting things that are adding to the conversation or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And you do that a few times, I'm going to recognize your name. Yeah. So then yeah. when I'm in one of my times where i'm on facebook just trying to zone out or whatever and i see your name sharing something promoting music i'm gonna be like oh shit that kid that comments on all my stuff is in a band i'm gonna go yeah. check it out absolutely that's right. really important so, yeah, that's a good tip taking that slower approach um it's just it's just way better not only that but it's more fulfilling if you focus more on wanting to be part of a community than just wanting something for yourself it's like that's actually more satisfying in the long run anyway absolutely making friends and having a community than just trying to promote because like promoting all the time is kind of stressful and it's not even fun to do so like that's always been my approach for sure just Mm -hmm. making friends with people i've never even I know a ton of people. I know a lot of people in big bands and stuff. I never had the idea like, oh, I'm going to promote to these people. I'm just hanging out, doing my thing, having a good time. And like, here I am now. Well, I think that's also a part of our age. All of us are over 30. You know, we grew up in a time when you had to be a part of the community, the metal community, in order for anyone to hear your band. Because no one was going to know you were even 
a musician unless you were at a show like moshing with them and exactly throwing down yep. three times a week at whatever shows were happening. So now absolutely now people are almost skipping that step because you don't have to actively yeah. go and participate in shows. You can just get on the internet and kind of push your thing instead of like forming a community. Yeah. So it's an interesting hurdle that kids have to kind of overcome and navigate in a different way than we did. Uh, and one, one more point, actually, I want to add on to that is something I've been thinking of recently. And it, it's kind of, it's even the same thing with when you make a post on the internet, uh, you can't always be asking for something of your audience. Like, yeah. Hey, click on this, do this. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Just po yeah. post something for them to enjoy. And that's it. Yeah. You know? Because it, yeah, that those are, those do way better than hey check out this thing and go you know click on this right. link. I mean, of course, sometimes we have to say hey, there's merch now. You have to go you know check it out. But yeah, other than that, we just try to post stuff that people want to see. When we when we launched Left to Suffer, one of the things that I made to hammer home with them was whenever we're posting about a new song or a new video or whatever, and you're sharing it from the band's Facebook to your own. Don't share it and go, hey, please go check out my new band's thing. Like, yeah. share it and go, oh, my God, I remember when we were making this video and I almost tripped and broke my knee. Yeah. 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 Those like just adding a layer to the story. Don't share it and ask people to do whatever it's doing. Let right. the post speak for itself. Exactly. Absolutely. Also, you made a really good point about the not if you're building a fan base in your local scene don't say yes to opening for every every single national tour that comes through and like overplay your city and make seeing your band not a special thing because that's not how you build a fan base around your band you want to make the show that let's say you do three shows in your hometown a year i would honestly maybe two, but it, it just depends what you're doing. Say you do three in your town a, a year. You want them to be super special. You want them to be the place to be. I'm only going to see this band three times this year. It's going to be a party. Don't overplay because then it's, it's the same thing as what you guys are saying. It's just, you know, happens happening in real life. You're asking yeah. too much from people. Yeah. You're asking them to go to every single show that comes through the city. It's not like building. It just turns people off. And you know what ends up happening is because everyone is being bombarded from every angle 24 hours a day now, because so many people ask all day long, if you just keep asking them, they just get numb to it and almost just tune you out. Yeah. Yeah. So then you go from somebody who would go to three shows a year to someone who's not going to go at all. Totally. So yeah. I'm curious, how do you feel about, you know, Facebook and Instagram both have this real thing set up now where you can get paid by posting reels. But I've noticed that it makes people post reels constantly. Do you think that yeah. that is a good idea? To, to be posting like constantly every day or does it turn people off in a similar way? Is it a good idea for Instagram or is no, it a for, good idea for, for you the as user? a musician? <laughs> it's a great idea for Instagram. For sure. Um, um, I think as long as it's 
like relative and good content to me they're they're to me the limit does not exist like you can post 200 times a day across all platforms i think that's totally fine um but are the posts engaging yeah. They yeah. entertaining are they just good or are they just dog shit posts for the sake for the sake <laughs> yeah. of posting and yeah. that's unfortunately what most people do yeah. they don't post enough and when they do post it's 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 asking and 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 they're bad posts just for the sake of it totally that that is something that naveen and i both try to keep in mind with the band as well that when we are making posts i never want it to be like a repeat or not just you know a crappy post it's cool to have a post that has news or you're sharing something with people and you like you're saying you're elaborating a little more on what's going on and not just you know posting the same picture 20 times with different font over it or whatever just to have a post like make a post that's worth it not just a post to have a post i remember when we put like two and two together and we're like okay you have to actually post stuff that people would like to watch yeah like would i want to yeah. see this you know yeah yes or yeah no? unfortunately whenever i see kids complaining on facebook about not getting enough views or plays or attention from people or whatever half the time i'm like uh, well maybe you're just not engaging and entertaining yeah like, yeah like that's okay like that's not like a big deal or anything but just that's a reality like not everybody is or sometimes you know you you have to change a lot like i've kind of even noticed with my own thing stuff over time you can't keep doing the exact same thing over and over again something that you might because i think that happens with facebook people will say oh i don't get like the views that i used to and it's like well maybe the stuff that you're posting people just don't want to see anymore yeah, that's part of it. Right. Maybe maybe their interests change. Maybe the type of content that is in that they like is different than yeah, it was exactly. two years ago. Like, yeah, yeah for oh, sure. Totally. Stuff to think about. I mean, I even remember with playthroughs, there's a different style of playthrough that's popular now as opposed to five years ago. Five years ago, it was more like multicam, like one cinematic. room, yeah, cinematic type thing. And now people yep. want like straight on TikTok reel type videos and that's what does really well so you do have to you know pay attention to what's going on and you can let those videos that aren't doing as well kind of be a guide it's like okay well that didn't work so i need to try something else until something hits you're like okay well that seems to be doing good let's do that again right well it's like if you've been in a band for x amount of time and you haven't gone anywhere maybe dissect everything that you've done and next year don't do any of those things yeah absolutely (laughs) you totally you do have to self-audit you do have to do that if something's not working then figure out what's going on with it and how you can make it better yeah and you have the feedback shows Booked one and and said, okay, these things went really well. I'll do that again next time. This didn't do so well. Like, let's figure out a solution for that. And over and over and over and over again until you just figured it all out. 100%. It's kind of funny how a lot of the stuff, like this advice that we're giving, quote unquote, if you really were able to just take a step back, how obvious it is. It's like, okay, one, oh, be nice 100%. and make friends. That's number one. Two, do stuff that people want to see. And three, if something isn't working, then probably don't do it anymore. That, that's it. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, that's like so obvious, but you get so bombarded by all these different opinions and uh, places to be on the internet, and you just can't see that, you know? Yeah. Everyone thinks there's a, some magic potion, but it yeah. really is simple. And it's the, the, I think the thing about it that most people don't like is that it's all of those things every day for a sustained long yep. period of time. That's it. Bingo. 100%. Five years, yeah. 10 years. Like, yeah. and most people can't and won't do that. Most yeah. people, if they're not being instant results, can't. And, you know, yeah. they just when, I mean, when give we up. started this band, I was, I told Cheney, I was like, 10 years from now, we'll be like chilling. Yeah. But until then, I'm like, it's going to be whatever. I mean, even then, and you're now, not. Yeah. We're like seven to eight years in and it's just now getting to the point where it's like okay this is cool yeah you have to work really really fucking hard even if you perceive a band as being an overnight success there it doesn't happen that way there is not overnight success i promise you it doesn't happen that way it's it's a lot of people learning and you know trial and error and figuring out how to do things right and maybe the band is new but the people behind the band have been developing it for the past yeah. 10 years. It's just, there's no like fast yep. forward button to get through all of the bullshit. And I think that you hit the nail on the head with that. The The most important thing with all of this is being persistent, doing it every day, all the time. If you want to play music for a living, you have to treat it like you're doing it for a living before you get to do it for a living. Yeah, and I, I feel like most kids talk about it like it's just a whatever thing. And it's like you're like asking the universe to have your job be in a, in a band, especially in extreme music, is just like a ludicrous ask. Like you're going <laughs> to have to like outwork every, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. In, oh, I want to be in a metal band that that makes enough money for all five of us to have a living. Like that's a ridiculous goal. Like it is not men. That's why not many people get to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Um, uh, that and because they don't own their masters. Yeah. That too. Yeah. That. Okay. So that is what you're signing away when you sign to a label, you sign yeah. away your masters. I know that people will ask what, what's the big deal about signing to a label? Well, that's it that you don't own your your masters, your music anymore. So that is what is making money on Spotify. And that's what right. a label owns. Or that's what's making money on Bandcamp. You know, anywhere you can get music, you're, that's what's making money with your records. And that's what you're giving away to a label. So that's kind of what you have to wrestle with and why Jeff is saying that with Left to Suffer, you're kind of, you're waiting it out. You're playing the long game. Playing the long game, so... yeah. Yeah, I mean, literally, my my plan from jump has been, I want to build their catalog to a point where we could sell their catalog for like five million dollars, and then right. sign a record deal. There we go. That's what's up. <laughs> yep, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I like that's that. really smart because then you have a lot of power. Yeah. You want to put yourself, you want to put your band in the place of the most power. You don't want, like, I think people do forget that, like, the label works for you. You don't work for the, 
label, you know, so you want to put yourself in a good position so that the label can work for you in the best way possible if you decide to sign to a label. Yeah, I mean, Chaney and I, our new album's coming out on Metal Blade, and we did sign with them, and it's like we we had some bad experiences in the past with labels and stuff, and we were leaning towards either DIY or we really liked Metal Blade, and then after kind of talking with them, and our manager is really tight with them, so, I mean, we were able to, this is, I don't know, we we had been a band for six years plus, maybe. Mm-hmm at the time so i mean we were able to get it to be awesome you know and for everybody to be happy and so it seems to be going really well i'm stoked on that so i mean i think labels can be awesome absolutely but it's all about the timing of it yeah Yeah. i I mean i also think that i'm psychotically different than yeah i know that's another other other things so i'm like i'm really on the offense yeah. 24 hours a day yeah i mean a lot of people don't have uh, you essentially are who would be working at a label like you know it, they'd, be, they'd be lucky yeah, to have absolutely. a guy like you i'm really mm-hmm. more their label than their manager as far as exactly. what our scene knows of typical managers being. yeah i was absolutely i, I was gonna I'm, I'm thinking that for sure so not Me everybody i look at that. it i look at it as i'm a ceo of a startup yeah well that's which is yep. That is my, that is like acting as the label, essentially. So yeah. if people are yeah. lucky enough to have someone like you who's like, or if they have someone in their band who's like you, who like wants to do all of that work and learn about it, then I think it can be super f- fulfilling. Yeah. And it's stuff that people should know, even if you do want to sign to a label, because signing to a label isn't the end all. It's not like once yeah. you sign to a label, you don't like have it made and you're good to go and you're a musician for life. Honestly, so many bands think that. I know. Yeah, <clears throat> so many bands think that, and that's just not the case. You have to have like the DIY mindset the entire yeah. to make to put your your band in the best position possible to be a a career band who makes a living off of it, who can sustain. Yep. Well, I asked them. It's like here's the question do you want to be able to try and do this band for the rest of your life or do you want the clout of being on a label so you can get on cooler tours sooner yeah yeah like it's a marathon making a living making a living forever sounds way more appealing in my head totally i mean that's our manager has told us that from the beginning it's a marathon not a sprint don't get too ahead of yourself see the forest from the trees don't be like, don't lose your way just because you see a tour happen. Believe me, yep. tours come and go. Yeah. 10 years from now, you don't remember any freaking tour that you did <laughs> or that happened 10 years ago. It it seems like something huge and life-changing if you're looking at it on the macro scale, but there's a, always another tour. There's always yep. another thing. Don't get too caught up in all of that stuff. Uh, we should probably take some of these questions because yeah, I think we've already questions. been going for like an hour. All right, cool. Yeah. Okay. Let's take cool. some. Uh, so Jake from Scrap Pile asks, what can a local slash underground, uh, underground band change today that would uh, make them a better band tomorrow? Like small changes or different mindsets to have? Well, I oh, think... Interesting. Uh, well, I think, I think creating a long-term plan like a year out plan that you follow 
would be that's something that most bands don't have and that would be changing i think also probably with most of them you don't post enough on the internet yeah that's true so So what do you think a year plan would look like for a band on a local level well i mean the left to suffer's first year was i said okay we're gonna put out one song every other month that's six songs we'll do that for a year and then at the end of that we'll get those six songs remastered and repackaged them with two new songs and you'll put out an eight song release celebrating your first year as a band bada bing that's freaking yep. awesome that's a great yeah, that's year plan. amazing And also, you know, singles are kind of the way of the future. Release singles. If you aren't in, if you're trying to get your band's name out there, then release singles. Every two months is like perfect. You come across these bands, like I've noticed this working with smaller bands, local bands, like recording and stuff. They'll be like, oh yeah, we can't put it, we can't put this out. We are, we got new songs. We can't put them out yet because we got to put these other ones out first. And I'm always like, just put out the good ones, whatever, dude. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah. Don't the the era of sitting on music <laughs> yeah. to stop or whatever the hell you think that you should be doing is over. Yeah. Put put it out. Yeah. Put to it me, out. it to me, it's about being consistent with the drops. If you can record an album every other month, put out an album every other month. I don't think any band can do that. So singles is probably the way to go. Yeah. There we go. All right, Cheney, let's go album album of the every other month. I would love to write an album every other month. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. I have to do if you, if you could else. do that for a year, your band would pull, for sure blow up. That's one hundred percent true. All right, let's do it. I'm down. I'm up for the challenge. Let's go. That'd be fun. At least an EP. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's the next question, Harrison? All right. Uh, still from Jake. Uh, at what point does a band need a manager, and what are the qualities to look for in a manager? Okay, so this is a I have a weird answer to this question because even though I'm left to suffer's manager, I think more bands should not have managers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's an um, honestly honest fair answer. Yeah. Well, this is why. And and you guys can, you know, correct me if your situation is different, but most managers mm-hmm. take 15% of a band's gross earnings. And that on top of the fact that they don't own their masters to me are the two singular reasons why more bands don't last longer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't do that with left to suffer. I take a percentage off of the net earnings, like a normal CEO would of a company. Yeah. The profit. Correct. Like, so I'm going to make way more money because the company is profitable, not just because I'm, I have friends that can hook you up with a tour and print you some merch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's yeah. huge. You gotta, that's agree. I, th- I, I mean, I personally think that's something that needs to change. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, I agree. it probably would take a long time to get there, but it's just like mathematically, it makes no sense. Like I show left to suffer the numbers. I'm just like, I would be making like five times more than each of you if we did it this way. Yeah. And you wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like, of course, that's, I mean, that's how and the, the band and the, and the band wouldn't have all of that extra money to, 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 to reinvest into it because I took it off the top. Yeah, exactly. I think that really to me is the telltale sign of a good manager, someone who is not trying to take you for like 
all that you're worth to, when you're a small band who can barely you I mean you're touring in a van so if you're looking yep. to getting a manager you should be looking for a person who doesn't want to screw you over for the sake of money they're actually yep. there to help you build the band and that's the case with us that's why we yep. love our manager it's so like much. a He's, good feeling relationship wise yeah and then on top of that they're down to invest in the thing yeah and agreeing on the net profit thing for sure yeah yeah, and I to- and I've to- and I tell them all the time. I'm like, every single band you become friends with, ask them, ask them what their situation is, yeah. ask them how much money they made on that tour. Just fucking ask them, yeah. And you're going to be mind blown. And <laughs> they've come back from the last couple of tours being like, every band that we talk to is just like jealous of our situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because what's yeah. better? I think it's better to have like. Even for you, it's going to be a way better situation to have five guys. I'm assuming there's five guys in the band Correct, that are yeah. like stoked and love you. For sure. And then yeah. like, so th- oh, okay, let's give him his cut. We hate this guy. Yeah. They're going to be looking for any reason to not Because work that you. is what bands do. If they feel like they're paying you too much money and you're not earning that, then they're just, they're talking crap about yeah. you in the van every night. Like, why does this person work for us? How are we going to yeah. get out of this situation? And you don't want it to be like that. And most of those situations, the bands are not even in control either. Most of the, so many decisions are made behind their back without them ever even getting all the full scope of information yeah that is a thing once you start dealing with the whole business aspect of it is just to be aware just be very aware of where your money is going and if it is being put to good use or if someone is just taking money from you to have money because like you're saying that is the quickest way to drown a band the best bands sometimes just can't make it past a couple of years because the money is being mismanaged. Mm-hmm. They're making a bunch of money. Yeah, or like the hype. I've seen that too and because I've been a, in other bands around for a long time and it's like you'll see like this hype band come out and all the industry people move in and just... Yep. Like a spider or something. Yeah. Vultures. <laughs> yeah. Vultures. And just, yeah, just to take that. the money because people... There are genuine people in this world who actually want to help others and really care about like people having careers. And then there are vultures who want. So just be always be aware of what's going on around you. And I think that Jeff is totally right. Unless you find a the perfect management situation, you don't really need a manager. Yeah. Like there, yeah. I know headlining bands who have a person in their band who's the manager and they're making good money that way and they're happy doing that until they need it's one. definitely way more common and it's not really common but there's way more people in those scenarios than there's ever been before absolutely yeah well all the knowledge is out there you can pretty much go on youtube and learn how to be a manager you can mm-hmm. you know just if you're in a band go and learn this stuff because it's important information to know it helps you understand how to run a business but then, I mean, yeah, on it, the flip side of the coin, yeah. it's like I, I'm more I'm into the the business aspect to a degree. But for the most part, I just want to make music, you know, so I have and that's I, most musicians. Yeah. yeah. So I do yeah. have I do know enough to run a band and all that stuff. But you only have so much time. 
Yeah. So it does make sense to kind right. of get the, involved. The, 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 the op, like the figuring out a way of taking $250 and flipping it and flipping it and flipping it and scaling a business is like art to me. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. the most fun thing. So just like the process of doing that is what I like. Well, there, that's what, that's, what makes yeah. you a much better manager than I me. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. It's like, I, I don't, I don't want to play ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. So. I want to do this though, 24 hours a day. And that's what, that's all I do. Yeah, that's, so. that's awesome. Absolutely. That's awesome. That is funny because someone in our discord was asking, a, oh wait, never mind. It was a different question. Go ahead. Sorry. It was, the, I was thinking <laughs> of the wrong thing. All right, next All question right. is from Lichen Lord. Uh, as someone who loves listening to music, are there jobs in the industry for people who listen to a lot of different music but not many other talents? Hmm. I think so. I think a lot of people who are in the, I think a lot of people who are in the industry are like that in the in the music industry. I, I would so. say all of them. Yeah. Like like anyone at a record label, especially in our scene, and when I say our scene, I'm talking anything warped toward a mayhem fest like all that Mm -hmm. stuff Mm -hmm. like all those labels it's like it's not like they have the best operational and best marketing people from the best schools yeah they don't pay these people anything they have they have they have kids they have people who were kids that were super fans that were willing to do anything for any amount of money and because they worked so hard for so little then they got brought up into their you know that's how they you go from doing merch on a tour to tour managing to working at a label you know what i mean like that's just how it goes absolutely that's a good way to get in actually is doing merch go and like 100 percent. yeah figure out how to do a do merch for a band merch people don't always get paid a lot especially starting out but if you work hard and work your way up and make connections I mean, dude, I've seen my friend Bill. He started out doing merch for the contortionist and now he does the Offsprings merch because he worked his ass off. Yeah, the kid, the kid, the last person that we had doing Sworn In's merch was a friend of mine. And it was like his first bigger tour. He did Mayhem Festival for us. And now he's done the last two years. He's been doing merch for Slipknot, Blink-182 and Gojira. Jesus. See? Right. That's all that it really takes is work ethic because it's really hard to to be a like road dog. That's the hardest yep. job. You have to be it's on not, tour. It's not for everybody. That's oh, no. for sure. I mean, I'll <laughs> tell you, our merch guy on our last tour quit after three days. He was green and had never been on tour before, and it just was not for him. Yeah. He, he couldn't That's do right. it. Not for everybody. It's That's really. Yeah, yeah, it was a total bummer. <laughs> it was a bummer. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's like, that's just how it goes. Touring is not for everyone. But right. if you can prove that you are a badass at touring, then I swear to you, you'll get a ton of jobs. Because if you can do it, people are going to take you out. Or like the merch guy equivalent, uh, like a label or something. You know, I mean, I, I know that some people want to work in the industry and don't necessarily want to go on to a merch guy. Yeah. But, but I think, yeah, I think. Loving music is probably the prerequisite in the metal industry. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I've had some conversations with with a couple of people who like one person who who has a job in tech doing something, d- data analyst. And they're like they asked me like, "Oh, like can you like help me get a job in the music industry?" And I'm like, "I don't know of any 
music company that has a data analyst. Like, I'm like, maybe if you offered to do X, Y, and Z, but like as an FYI, like this is what, probably what you'd be making working at a label. And they're like, oh, I would need like three times as that. Start. <laughs> that's what I get. That's, that's what I got paid at the tech companies. I'm like, this is music. You have to yeah. love it. Like this, you're not doing it for the money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so true. It's like with all of the business stuff and everything we're saying being said, you have to love metal to to work in the industry, to do anything from management to working at a label to being on tour to being a musician. You really have to love it beyond anything. Otherwise, it's just, you know, like we're saying, it takes time. It takes time to build a career. And if you don't love it, then it's just not going to be worth it for you in the long run. And there's just a lot of bullshit. So yeah. if you don't love it, you're you're going to give up because there's a lot of shit. And it's like that in every industry, for sure. I mean, you have to, I don't know about the tech industry, but I mean, I know for starting a small business, you definitely have to have some sort of passion for it or you're not going to yeah. make it. You know? Yeah. Yep. Because it's just starting a business kind of sucks. Yeah, <laughs> of course. It's just the work. Yeah. That's that's what, how you get somewhere. But I, yeah, uh, I think that's a good place to stop the podcast. Yeah, that was great. all right, dude, Jeff. Thanks so much cool. for coming on, dude. That was uh, really cool. I, I felt like inspired. we could have. I felt like we could do this once a week and never stop talking. Yeah, I, know, yeah, I think so time. too. We're gonna have you on again for yeah. sure. It would be awesome. But yeah, thank you so much for stopping by and. You got don't you do consultations as well, right? So people can hit you I, up. I do, yeah. I don't. I need to create some sort of website or an easy way to 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 do those. Right now, I just have kids just DM me, and I just schedule them that way. That's actually a really cool idea. I know. That's really cool. You kind of because you can work with their unique situation. Wow, nobody's thought. Yeah, of that. I love doing the one on ones and and diving into their specific things well i guess we'll put in the links like your yeah we'll put your facebook and stuff so that people can hit you up but yeah uh thank you for being on that was an awesome conversation and hopefully you guys out there learned some stuff about you know being in a band and building your band and getting it out there so yeah love y'all have a great week thanks for tuning in jeff thank you so much for stopping by dude this we'll, will be- we'll talk Thank to you, you guys. Great talking to you again. Yeah, yeah you, too, you man. too, man. Have a great night. All right, we'll see. You. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks, Jeff. Peace. Night. <laughs>